Hey, uh, you guys help me thank uh, Robbie and the band for leading us tonight, man. That was awesome. Thanks for being here. I always love it when you're here. Well, when I was a sophomore in college, I began dating this girl, and I will never forget what happened uh, when we had been dating right around two months. Um, I will I will never forget this moment because I was I was sitting in this girl's room and in this moment in time she looked me in the eyes and she said uh, I just want to get this out on the table I uh, I think I love you I think you're the one don't make me wait two years meaning don't make me wait till we graduate to get married now guys I mean what do you do in that situation. Right or wrong, here's how I responded. Again, right or wrong, here's how I responded. I said, um, thank you. <laughs> I, I want you to know that I take that word love very seriously. And um, I want to wait to say it until I am 100% confident that I can say it and mean it. And uh, clearly, that wasn't the response that she was wanting, because she responded by gazing into my eyes and saying, get out, get out of my house. So I got up and got out of her house, and that's kind of how that went, true story. Y'all are like, no, that didn't really, no, that really happened. I got up, I got out of my house, and I went to my car, kind of game over, all right? So that's kind of how that went uh, down. And as I look back on that moment, uh, here's what I realized. I realized that in that moment in my life, I really had no clue what, what true love was. But what I did know is that it was something more and something different than we were experiencing in that moment. I mean, as I was preparing for this talk tonight, I couldn't, um, I couldn't help but hear Forrest Gump's words in my mind. I know Forrest Gump was a movie that happened a long time ago, but if you have seen it, you know there's a time when Forrest Gump says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. I know it's a terrible imperson impersonation, but I love what he says. He says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And as I thought about that, I just thought, man, I, I definitely couldn't have said that when I was in college. There is no way when I was in college, there's no way that I could have said, um, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And as I prepared, I just asked myself, can I say that now? Even after being married for nine years, can I say now that I know what love is? Can you say that? Can you say that you know what love is? Because I'll just be honest, I, um, I, I look around our world today, and it is very clear to me that our world is wildly confused about what love is. I mean, think about it. We use the word love um, to describe our feelings for a boyfriend or girlfriend, but we also use the word love to describe our feelings for Chick-fil-A in a song. Ellie Golding wrote the theme song for Fifty Shades of Grey. Many of you know the song. What's the song called? Love Me Like You Do. Is that love? Is Fifty Shades of Grey, is that, is that love? What did Buddy the Elf say after he went on the first, his first date ever? He says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. But then you have Olaf say to Anna, 
Love is putting someone else's needs before yours. I mean, I look around and it's very clear. Our world is wildly confused about what love truly is. But the interesting thing is that God, the author of love, the one who is love himself, never intended for us to be confused on what love is. He has always wanted us to be absolutely clear on what love is. If you missed last week, here's what you need to know. We started a five-week series that we are calling Marriage Material, How to Save Your Marriage Years Before It Begins. And I told you guys last week that the whole goal of the series is to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain in your future marriage and your dating relationships along the way. And the way that we are going to go about doing that is by digging deep into the most uh, famous passages used in wedding ceremonies around the world. That's why we've called the series Marriage Material, because I want to encourage you guys to become marriage material, but I'm going to do that by challenging you with the most famous wedding ceremony or first day of marriage material. So tonight, we arrive at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the famous love passage. It is hands down the most widely used passage in uh, wedding ceremonies. Uh, Even if someone has never opened a Bible in their life, even if someone wants to have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, it is possible there are people out there who have planned their own wedding ceremony, and at some point during the ceremony, someone has stood up and read these words. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. These words of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 are, uh, are some of the Apostle Paul's greatest Moment. I mean, they are some of his greatest words because in this passage, God, the author of love, defines for us what love actually is. Now, please don't miss what I'm about to say. Nothing will impact your future marriage, your dating relationships along the way to marriage, and your relationships while you're single. Nothing will impact these relationships. Um, as much as your understanding of, your definition of, and your vision for love. So if you have a Bible, I want want you to turn with me tonight to the famous love passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I think it's important to point out that Paul didn't originally write this passage for marriage. Paul actually wrote this passage um, to address some division and dysfunction going on in the church at Corinth. Um, Paul was hearing about a severe lack of love in the church, so that's why he wrote this passage. 
There was division going on in the church, and one of the areas of division revolved around spiritual gifts, because what was happening is God gave the different people in the church of Corinth different gifts with which they were to serve and encourage and build up the body, but instead, the church at Corinth kind of turned into a glorified high school, where there were the popular kids who had the way cooler spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues, and prophecy, and then there were the dorks, the people with the far less cool spiritual gifts. And so this division arose, and Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to address a lack of love. That's why he says what he does in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13 and in verses 8 through 13. Look at what he says in verses 1 through 3. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So what's Paul's point? His point is, who gives a rip? about what gifts you have if you don't have love. Love is what makes your gifts effective and meaningful. And then if we were to read verses 8 through 13, which we're not going to read for the sake of time, but what you would see is Paul simply making the point, get your priorities straight, because the spiritual gifts that you have right now, man, they are on the clock A day is coming where we're not going to need these gifts anymore, but love is here to stay. Love is here today, and love will actually define your experience in eternity as you experience the love of Jesus Christ without hindrance for forever. So in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13... Um, Paul addresses the necessity of love in regard to spiritual gifts. And then in verses 8 through 13, he addresses the permanence of love compared to the temporal nature of spiritual gifts. But then sandwiched in between those two sections is verses 4 through 7. And in this section, Paul clarifies what love actually is. And that's where we're going to spend our time tonight and next week. Verses 4 through 7, they're going to take us two weeks to get through because it is so rich with meaning. So let's get into it. We're going to use this passage that Paul wrote to address love within the church, and we are going to apply it to marriage. And I have no problem doing that because God's definition of love never changes. Love within the church is the same, is the same as it is within the marriage. All right. So here we go. First Corinthians 13. Before we get into it, I'll just say one more thing. I strongly encourage you to practice what we talk about tonight, to practice it with your roommates. All right. I'm encouraging you to practice love with your roommates. And I know that that statement might be creepy. All right. For me to say, but I'll just say this. Practicing love with your current roommates will prepare you well to love your future permanent roommate, your spouse. All right. So that's all I'm going to say. Here we go. Verse four. 
Paul starts out and he begins to unpack love. And he starts out by saying, love is patient. Love is patient. Patience for Paul is the idea of it's the opposite of being short tempered. It's being slow to anger. It's having a very, very long fuse. Okay. So, uh, we just need to get something out on the table. All right, and you're going to have to follow me on this, but, but here's what you need to know. There is an aspect of dating, especially in the early stages of a relationship, there's an aspect of dating um, that involves hiding who you truly are from the other person. I'm, I'm being serious. There's an aspect of dating, especially at the beginning, that involves hiding who you really are from the other person, Okay. And that might sound wrong and it might sound shady, but it's just what we do. And I'll give you an example. Okay, guys, um, some of you, and I'm just saying some, but some of you have bags of Chick-fil-A in your car from two weeks ago, from two weeks ago. You do. You have bags of Chick-fil-A from two weeks ago in your car. And the towel that you shower with is on the floor of your apartment somewhere. And you sleep in a sleeping bag because you think that's easier than having to wash sheets because sleeping bags never get dirty, right? All right. <laughs> but if you start dating a girl, what are you going to do? I promise you, you're going to get the Chick-fil-A out of your car. You're going to hang up your towel and you're going to hide the sleeping bag. All right. Before she ever comes to your apartment. Why? Because that's what we do. At least in the beginning, we hide who we truly are from the other person. That's why I'm convinced that every single person without exception gets into marriage. And at some point has the thought I've been tricked. All right. I I think that that happens at some point for everyone. Here's what you need to know. And I just want you to think about this. And I say this in love. But what your roommates see of you right now is what your future permanent roommate will see of you at some point. All right. What I'm saying is you are going to bring some less than desirable tendencies, quirks, and habits into your marriage. And you're not going to be able to hide them anymore. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And you can change some of those uh, imperfections, but you will always, you will always have some less than desirable tendencies, quirks, and habits in marriage. Why? Because you are an imperfect person. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that you are going to expect your spouse to love you in spite of your imperfections, right? You're going to expect your spouse to love you in spite of your imperfections. So don't be surprised when your spouse expects you to do the same. That's why it's so important right now, before you ever get close to marriage, it's very important that you get clear right now that love is patient. What that means is love isn't phased by the moments where you have the thought, I've been tricked in one way or another. No, love is a daily choice. Love is a daily choice to respond unnaturally to someone's imperfections. Did you hear that? 
Love is a daily choice to respond unnaturally to someone's imperfections. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. This has been very convicting for me. As I was preparing for this talk on Friday, I just stopped and I went to my wife and I just said, Catherine, um, I need to ask for your forgiveness because there have been times. I mean, in our marriage, I have expected you to love me in spite of all of my imperfections, but there have been times where I have not been patient with your imperfections. And I need you to forgive me. It's extremely convicting. Paul starts out and he says, love is patient. Then he moves on and he says, love is kind. Now, uh, y'all don't need me to define kindness for you, okay? There's no deep hidden meaning here in the Greek, okay? Well, I think the majority of us know what kindness is. Kindness is seeing someone's needs and then taking action to meet those needs with no strings attached. Love, I'm... Kindness is what flows out of a genuine desire to bless someone and make their life better with no hidden agenda. The hard thing about kindness is that kindness requires you to remove yourself from the center of the universe. And I might be alone in this. Okay, I might be alone in this. But if I am honest, I instinctively spend the majority of the day thinking about myself. I instinctively spend the majority of the day thinking about myself. I tend to decide um, where I go and what I do and who I do it with and, and what I eat and what I wear and how I handle different challenges. I tend to make those decisions based upon my comfort, my preferences, my feelings, my plans, and my ambitions. That's why, and don't miss this, that's why in marriage, manipulation masked as kindness comes a lot more natural than genuine kindness. Did you hear what I'm saying? That's why manipulation masked as kindness comes a lot more naturally than genuine kindness. I mean, I can buy gifts for Kat, my wife. I can buy her gifts. I can give her back rubs. I can get up with the kids in the middle of the night. I can watch the kids so she can go out with the girls. Um, I can clean the house and get it spotless while she's away to surprise her. And on the surface, my love looks incredibly kind. But if I'm honest with you, there are times that I do these things for Kat because of what I can t- potentially get out of it. Sometimes I do things for Cat in hopes of compelling Catherine to turn around and do things for me. This isn't kindness. This is manipulation. Kindness is what flows out of a person who takes Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, seriously as a command. From God. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know what love is? Love is a daily choice to remove yourself from the center of the universe and instead take 
action to meet the needs of someone else and to make someone's life better with no strings attached. Love is patient. Love is kind. And now Paul changes and he begins to tell us what love is not. So look at what he says. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. And then he says, love does not envy. The idea of envy, it's simply the idea of wanting what someone else has. Wanting what someone else has. And envy can absolutely happen between a husband and a wife. But I want to talk about it from a different angle. Um, The cause of envy is comparison. That's what causes envy. Envy is a result of us comparing what we have to what someone else has. And so you need to know in marriage, there are going to be times where you are tempted to compare your spouse to someone else's spouse. There's going to be times where you're tempted to compare things like um, looks and personalities, senses of humor, um, ambitions, abilities, and even sex drive. There's going to be times where you're tempted to compare these things. And if you enter into that comparison, you need to know comparison can be cancerous to a marriage. Because here's why. When you choose to enter into comparison and you begin to compare your wife or your husband to someone else's spouse, what you will inevitably do is you will compare the negatives of your spouse with the positives of someone else's spouse. And your spouse will lose every time. And it will cause envy. Now listen to how that envy in your heart will manifest itself. Here's what will happen. Envy will first manifest itself as discontentment with your spouse. You will become discontent with your spouse. You'll begin to wish that your spouse was a little bit more like that person's spouse. And discontentment will breed resentment. And you will begin to resent your spouse for not being more like that other person's spouse. And then resentment will breed entitlement. And you will begin to believe that you are entitled to be happy. You are entitled to be happy. So you will buy into the lie that you deserve something better than you have. And that's why people bail on their marriage. And that's why people get on AshleyMadison.com. And they're unfaithful to their spouse and their kids. You want to know what love is? Love is making a consistent choice to appreciate and treasure what you do have. One of the greatest ways that you can prepare for marriage And to prepare for those moments where that temptation to compare compare comes in. One of the best things you can do right now is discipline yourself to be grateful for where God has you now. Discipline yourself to be grateful for where God has you now. What that means is stop wishing that you had someone else's life. If you're single, stop wishing that you were engaged. Discipline yourself to be thankful for where God is has you now. Paul goes on, love is patient and kind. It does not envy. And then he says it doesn't boast and it's not arrogant. We're going to address these two together because I think that they really go hand in hand. 
to boast or to brag, that, that Greek word, it literally means to be a windbag. But to, the reason that someone brags is because they want to feel important. Someone becomes arrogant. Someone is arrogant when they already feel that they are important. Someone brags because they want to elevate themselves to the top. Someone becomes arrogant when they already believe that they have arrived at the top. Both um, boasting and arrogance, it, it has to do with having a way too high view of yourself. Arrogance especially can devastate a marriage. And let me tell you why. The reason that arrogance can devastate a marriage is because it is miserable. It is miserable to be married to someone who is always right and never wrong. It's miserable to be married to someone who always defends and rationalizes their sin. It's miserable to be married to someone um, who always believes that someone else is the problem. And because someone else is always the problem, they never apologize. They don't even know how to say, I'm sorry. It's miserable being married to someone who can never say, I'm sorry. And it's miserable to be married to someone who refuses to be challenged and refuses to change. So this is good for you to ask yourself right now. Do you believe that you're always right? Do you believe that your way is always the best way? Do you have a hard time being challenged by other time? Do you have a hard time taking people's advice? Do you defend and rationalize your sin? Do you rarely, if ever, utter the words, I'm sorry? If so, you might have an arrogance problem and you need to address it before you ever step foot into marriage. Because love is a daily decision. To let Christ increase and you decrease. Because when you let Christ increase, what you're saying is, Jesus, your way of marriage is the best way. So Jesus, if you and your word tells me that I have sinned against my spouse, I have sinned against my spouse, which means I need to ask their forgiveness. And Jesus, if you choose to challenge me through my spouse, I'm going to listen and I'm going to receive. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, and it's not rude. That word rude doesn't really capture what Paul is going for here. It's really the idea of behaving shamefully. We talked about this some last week, but um, when you get married, in God's eyes, what's happening is two people are becoming one. Two people are becoming one. What that means is any compromising decisions you choose to make when you're married, any compromising decisions you make will directly impact your spouse. They will. So if you choose to behave shamefully, it will directly impact your spouse. I want to speak especially to the guys Right here. So guys, please listen up. And this applies also to the girls, but I'm especially talking to the guys. Men, you need to know. I have watched men in their 30s get wasted at wedding receptions and at college fraternity 
reunions because they're trying to relive the glory days. And you know what happens? The wife is left to babysit them and apologize for them. I have a friend who cashed out their um, retirement accounts without his wife's knowledge. And he put it all into a risky investment and he lost it. I've watched, um, I've watched men engage in inappropriate relationships with coworkers. They've gone to strip clubs uh, and they've looked at pornography habitually, causing deep amounts of insecurity in their wife. Men especially, you need to know, when you choose to get married, you have a huge responsibility to make your wife feel secure and protected. What that means is that there will never, ever be a special occasion where it is okay for you to act like a fool. Because any compromising decision that you make will directly impact your spouse. So you, you want to know what love is? Love is making the choice to grow up. Love is making the choice to grow up and to live a, live a consistent life of character and integrity, first and foremost, for the sake of Jesus Christ, and second, for the sake of your wife. Um, some of y'all might be familiar with it, but there's a song on the radio right now by The Heydays. It's called Dumb. And uh, here are some of the lyrics. It says this. It says, woke up like Mr. Clean, shaved and needs some Listerine. I remember texting you, then had a drink, maybe a few, so many. Think I was hanging from a roof, probably talking too much truth. Lost my wallet and a tooth. I'm feeling so dumb. Guess I'm just young and foolish. Don't need to make excuses. No regrets. Don't need no alibi. I wake up feeling so dumb. Found my cell phone in a tree. All these pics I've never seen. She looked like Mr. T. Why he lying next to me in bed? Think I threw up in a pool. Got a Scooby-Doo tattoo. Must have thought it was cool. I'm feeling so dumb. Guess I'm just young and foolish. Don't need to make excuses. No regrets. Don't need no alibi. I wake up feeling so dumb. Hey, if this is the life that you want to live right now, that's completely your choice. And you have the 100% freedom to do that. But I beg you, until you're ready to grow up, stay single. Because the most unloving thing that you can do for a girlfriend or a boyfriend or for a husband or for a wife, the most unloving thing you can do is relentlessly pursue instant gratification no matter the consequences to you or your significant other. See, this is what Paul says love is. This is God's definition of love. You remember what I said at the beginning. I, I said that I look around in this world and it's very clear that this world is, is wildly confused on what love is. But God, the, the author of love, the one who is in fact love, has never wanted us to be confused. God has never wanted love to be abstract. He's always desired for it to be concrete for us. Listen to what First uh, John 3.16 says, it says this, by this we know love. Do you hear what that's saying? God is spelling it out for us. He's saying, 
I want love to be concrete, not abstract, concrete. By this we know love. This is how we know love. That he, that's Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is saying, man, you want to be clear on what love is? All you have to do is look at who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross. I don't know if you realize it, but that's all First Corinthians 13 is. First Corinthians 13 is simply a description of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Jesus is patient. Think about it. Jesus came to this earth and he deserved to be worshipped as a king. Instead, uh, he was betrayed, arrested, beaten, whipped, mocked at, laughed at, and crucified. And at any moment during that time, he could have executed judgment on the whole world. And instead, he patiently kept silent. He's even patient now. He is even patient. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian, one of the reasons you kind of refuse to step into a relationship with Jesus is because you look at Jesus kind of skeptically and and you question his goodness. Because if Jesus really is good, why does he need to do something about the evil in in the world? That might be a big roadblock for you. But what you need to realize is that God operates according to a different standard that, that this world and, and we operate. That didn't come out right. God operates according to a different standard than we do. I mean, in this world's eyes, you might be considered a good person, but in God's eyes, the scriptures are clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3 says there is none who does Good, not even one. So if Jesus was to grant your wish and he was to deal with all the evil in this world now, according to the Bible, he would also have to deal with you. But in his patience, he holds back his wrath because he desires that no one would perish, but that you would turn to him. Jesus is patient. He's also kind. He's he expressed his kindness toward us when he was punished for us, for us on the cross. When he was crucified for our sins, he displayed his kindness so that when we express faith in him, we can experience the love, acceptance, approval, and favor of a perfect God. And even if you want to have nothing to do with Jesus right now, you need to know just the fact that you woke up this morning and your heart is beating and your lungs are filling with oxygen is a display of his kindness towards you. The fact that he brought you into this place tonight so that you could hear his truth, his good news, and for you to have an opportunity to receive salvation tonight, that is his kindness towards you. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't boast. He's not arrogant. Instead, he humbled himself. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself and became a servant and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? So that we could have a relationship with the God of the universe. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, when we express faith in him, we're able to step into an enjoyable relationship. Do you hear that? We are able to enjoy Jesus Christ. Why? Because as we're going to see next week, as we continue in 1 Corinthians 13, Jesus is an irritable, which means he is, he's 
He's slow to anger. He's not, he's not touchy. He's not constantly mad at you. No, he's like a father teaching a, a, a daughter or a son to walk. Jesus is committed to being with you. He's committed to leading you. And he delights in lifting you up and setting you back on course no matter how many times you fall. As we'll see next week, Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. He keeps no record of wrongs. What that means is all of your sins have already been washed away. There truly is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is incredible news because what this means is that no matter where where you've been or what you've done, you don't have to go through life consumed by the fact that you have failed. You can go through life consumed by the fact that you have been completely forgiven by Jesus Christ. And as we'll see next week, Jesus's love endures all things. It means he'll never give up on you. Even if you're in a really dark place right now, he has not given up on you. He will never reject you. Romans 8.39 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is true love. This is what true love is. So let me just ask you, have you ever experienced the love of Jesus Christ? Have you ever had a genuine encounter with the love of Jesus Christ? If not, we would love to help you experience that tonight. And if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you are struggling to really get your mind around the fact that you truly are lovable, we'd love to process through you with about that tonight. I'll close by saying this. The good news The good news is that the more that we know, experience, and enjoy Jesus Christ, the more we become like Jesus. What that means is the more that we enjoy and experience the love of Christ, uh, the more we will express that love through our lives. You need to know that a 1 Corinthians 13 type love is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. So you want to save your marriage years before it begins? You want to maximize joy and minimize unnecessary pain in your future marriage and in your dating relationships along the way? Then by far the best thing you can do is make your number one priority every single day to know, experience, and enjoy Jesus Christ a little bit more than you did yesterday. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that love is not abstract, it's concrete. Because you stepped out of heaven and into earth to fully display what love is. God, I pray. I pray that if there is anyone in this place tonight who has never truly experienced your love, I pray that tonight they would sense you calling out their name and that they would come and you would pour out your love upon them. Lord, if there's anyone in this place right now that just can't get past the hurdle of believing that they are truly lovable, I pray that you would break down that wall right now, that they would sense your delight, your pleasure and love for them, God. 
God, I pray that you would transform relationships across Baylor's campus. Lord, I pray that the divorce rate would decrease. Lord, I pray for the future marriages that are in this place. May they be characterized by a love that reflects your love for us. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.